The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined by Star Sport editor Kieran McCarthy. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you in association with our friends at Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, where your bank really does matter. Choose the credit union, choose local, choose community. On this week's podcast, we're going to hear from Bera GAA Secretary Joe Blake about whether the minor grades should be left at under 17 or return to under 18 and the effect decoupling could have on rural GAA clubs across the county. Joe previously served as the Cork County Board's PRO, so is well-versed on the subject and has some great insights into the existential threats faced by clubs on the Beira Peninsula. We're also going to be joined by friend of the show, Christina Desmond. Christina, a boxer from Kilnamatra, was a silver medal winner at the recent European Championships in Montenegro and she spoke to producer Dylan Mangan about her current form and the remarkable success of Irish women's boxing of late. Later on the podcast, we'll also hear from ex-Munster player and star of RTE's Ultimate Hell Week, Billy Holland, about the West Cork contingent in the Munster squad. But first off, Kieran, welcome back. You've been away from the podcast for a few weeks, so have you had a nice break or did you get any chance to relax at all? Not good to get away for a couple of weeks, but good to be back too, Jack, because it's now the 1st of November, so can we officially say it's the countdown to Christmas? I can we officially so. say that now? I think we can, and I'll make a confession here. During the during the, the, the couple of weeks I off, I did watch a Christmas true movie late one night, so I'm already in the festive spirit, so I'm very much a, a, a child of Christmas. So roll on the next 55 days till the, till the big man arrives. Yeah, we already had ads on our social media today for our Christmas magazine, which is out in, I think, the 24th of November. So what's that? Just over three weeks away till the Southern Stars Christmas special is out. So that's when you know it's just around the corner. So 55 days. And as time would have it, there's a box of uh, miniature chocolates in my apartment at the minute, and I've been gorging on them over the last few days. So there's a an Oreo Milka one. There's a dime one. A Christmas box of sweets that I obviously was given as a gift and I've already started. So Christmas season, Karen, is here. Let's begin like we'd be inundated with selection boxes now and the, the biggest sort of celebrations and heroes and all those. Like I'm a Cadbury's by heart. Absolutely love Cadbury's. I wouldn't be too much into the celebrations to be quite honest. So I look forward to Christmas as the as well as the Christmas true movies and the Christmas lights, I like tucking into a couple of boxes of chocolate. So I'm um, let the good times roll, Jack. Absolutely. Well, 
Um, sorry there, I'm just getting a notification here and uh, it's kind of made me lose my train of thought, but I'm going to plow on. Dylan, you don't need to delete that because let's just, this is how, this is how the sausage is made. So our guest, our first guest on this week's podcast, Kieran, is the Beira GEA secretary, Joe Blake, who's been talking to Matthew Hurley of the Southern Star about the minor grade and the debate that's ongoing within Cork and every county at the minute about whether or not they're going to revert to the old way of doing things and also whether or not decoupling is going to take place. Now, to me, decoupling sounds like some kind of dystopian uh, human engineering type situation. I'm watching this program Severance at the minute and it sounds like something they'd refer to in that program, but it's not that uh, scary, is it? Decoupling, it's basically the concept of preventing minor players of playing with their senior or adult team so before we hear from joe is there anything you want to say with regard to decoupling and this overall debate or will we just throw straight to joe i think decoupling is almost a trend word in the ga the last couple of weeks and we've seen it in both local and national media and like you said there it's almost a separation um for minor players but where where this is causing i suppose consternation and um for for clubs and especially small rural clubs is that if the minor minor age grade does revert from under 17 back to under 18 and there is decoupling that means that those under 18 players cannot play adult club football which Actually, here, be, uh, sorry just uh, on the actual phrase decoupling there i was saying it's slightly dystopian sounding but uh, you like you you like love island would i be right in saying that doesn't it sound like something that they would discuss on love Island? i'm decoupling from my partner for tonight and i'm going on a, a date with one of the other boys do they say decoupling or what do they say Maybe it's the GA's way of getting in touch with the younger audience, you know, yeah. to kind of borrow these avoidant phrases. Um, as was on a serious note, it could have huge repercussions for rural clubs. And that's I think what Joe Blake will hear from quite soon now, because I think there is there what he would tell us is that there's a real danger for the six clubs in Beira, not just for the immediate future, but for the years down the line, that if these under 18s are not left to play um, adult football, just the, the impact that will have. So it's a real serious debate not just in Cork at the moment, but, but right across the country. And I think we'll we'll see and read more about this in the weeks ahead and ahead of Congress next year. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. But what we do know so far is that there's almost a kind of a clear divide between the big city clubs and the small rural clubs, because those big city clubs, they have the numbers to, to, to play out of football without the under-18s, whereas for clubs in Beira and for, for clubs in Carberry too, I'd imagine, that they need their their under 18s. And it's not just for their first team, it's for their second team. And let's say a second team can't field. Not alone does that affect those young players, but it could also affect those older players who are just playing football for that social aspect or, or you know, they're just, they're just there just, just to keep getting out the social side, keep the state fit to, to meet their friends. So it could hit the second teams of, of junior clubs as well. So it really is a serious issue. And as we hear from Joe Blake now, they're... They're treating it very seriously out in Beira. So I'm delighted to be joined here by Joe Blake, the BRJ secretary, just to talk about the controversy surrounding the under-17, under-18 grading system in minor in the last few weeks. Uh, first of all, Joe, how are things with you? Like, uh, How are you keeping? All good. Thanks, Matthew. It's great to be here on the, the sports, the Southern Star Sports Star Podcast. Great to hear, great to hear, Joe. So, uh, first of all, before we kick things off, like uh, a lot of people would be unfamiliar with the word uh, decoupling on the Irish Examiner written, uh, article written by Owen Cormac recently. So, if you could explain to the viewers in simpler terms, what does decoupling actually mean? It means 
basically separation. So at the moment, uh, you have to be under 18 to, to, to play um, minor football. You can't be under 17. So what it means is that if the new uh, proposals were brought in, the 18-year-olds would not be allowed. Those under 18-year-olds would not be allowed to play adult football with their clubs. So it's a total separation. Uh, at the moment, it's, you have decoupling at 17-year-old, at 17, under 17, a total separation. So you can't play adult football when you're under 17. So the proposal is to bring this up to under 18. And you mentioned on the examiner article as well that uh, this will have a detrimental effect on uh, the bear division, never mind clubs in the division as well. So, uh, yeah, this will be re a really big uh, development in BRG. Yeah, it would. So just to give people a bit of background in case they, they, they don't know the light of land down here in Bear. So we have um, six clubs. So we'd have uh, starting off on the east, we'd have Glengarroff, then my own club, Adrigal, Castletown Bear, Bear Island, Garnish and Orden. So some of the clubs, Castletown Bear would be the highest graded. Um, they'd be Premier Intermediate. Um, and then you would go down to Glengarroff, who, or sorry, Bear Island, who would be a Junior C uh, club. So where this will come into play is that numbers are tight down here in Beira. Uh, before, we used to have five underage clubs. Now we have three. The, um, so my own club and Glengarv um, would be formed for Caha Oog. Garnish and Bear Island have kind of put their players in with Castletown Bear and then you have Orden. So before Garnish would have had their own team, Adrigo would have their own team, but we don't have that anymore. So already you can see the effects of depopulation and migration that's taking place in the Bear Peninsula. And this will have an effect down the road. Um, without a doubt, at, at adult level. And if this was to come in, preventing under-18s playing at adult level, it would only speed up the process. And I think Jim Hanley, one of our Bear delegates, said at the Bear board meeting last week, that's, or last Tuesday night, that it's a death by a thousand cuts, and this is another cut, and this is a big one. And it will have a big effect on players. Like I give an example, we were supposed to have five teams in our junior B championship and only four of them fielded. One team couldn't field and the, another team had only uh, 14 players for championship starting off and they were able to get another player to tag off midway through the first half. So they played the whole game with the bare 15 players. So that just tells you how tight numbers are currently going down the road. And I think you probably saw it in the Irish Examiner article about the numbers. I was astounded a couple of weeks ago when I was told the numbers that started in Beira. So you'd have nine primary schools in on the Beira Peninsula and two of the schools would be in Glengariff. So they, those students would tend to go to secondary school in Bantry. So there is five, uh, or sorry, seven uh, primary schools feeding into the, the, the secondary school in Castletown Bay Art. And only 24 children started between those um, seven schools. One of the schools had zero children starting. Two of the schools had one child, one child starting. And another school had two children starting. And then the other three schools had different numbers. 
but it just goes to show what's coming down the tracks. What we're dealing with currently, numbers are very tight, but it's going to get worse down the road. And there's no point in five or 10 years' time where a team has 13 players and there's a few 18-year-olds outside the wire looking on, but they can't play. Then that's too late. Now is the time that we need to say stop and just we can't afford to let this happen. And with this um, minor system, it's um, it's um, this people are saying they could go up to under eighteen level. And uh, what would that mean? Would be if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, though. But that means under 18s can't play senior level. Is that correct? Yeah, that would be correct. That the under 18s can't play adult level. Now, it's interesting because a number of maybe I think it was two years ago, possibly last year, the the the, the suggestion being put forward is decoupling. I think a lot of people. The majority of people want to see the minor going back to 18. So the big question is whether to decouple or not to decouple. And we're I'm of the opinion that you don't decouple, that you would play minors, championship, league games, and Wednesday nights. And then you play adults at the weekends. And like there there is um where the big problem is is a lot of say, teams in the city and with big numbers, they're speaking about that they're under-18s, won't get games, or and that there's a big drop-off rate. Well, I kind of put forward the suggestion that if you look back before, there used to be a competition for, it used to be the non-exam leagues. So basically, these competitions were for um, players who weren't doing leaving sorts, and it meant that clubs could still play games without their leaving certs and they were not effectively called non-exam leagues, that you could have leagues for players who are not playing adult football. Because if you look at the rural clubs, once a player comes 18, he goes training and more like and possibly playing with his adult team. While in the bigger clubs in the city and the suburbs, that might necessarily be the case. So that player doesn't have games. So by, by setting up maybe leagues for players that are not getting games at adult level, it means they're getting regular, meaningful games. So it's it like no other county in Ireland has, um, has such a variance in demographics because we're trying to cater for the rural clubs in Beira, but we're also trying to cater for the urban clubs with large populations in the city. So another county in Ireland is probably doing that, and it's a, a delicate balancing act. And by any chance, have you approached Crow Park over this? Have you complained to Crow Park about it? Well, I haven't been on to Crow Park in the last couple of weeks, I suppose, if that's what you're asking. Because, I, I mean, at the moment, this is being discussed at Cork level. And in fairness, we had a great discussion. We've had two meetings about this, and Kevin O'Donovan, I served on the the county executive for three years um, with Kevin O'Donovan, the likes of Mark Sheehan, Pat Horgan. They understand, they get it because you take, for example, Kevin, he's from small uh, club down in West Cork himself. So he knows about the numbers and in fairness to Kevin and Pat and Mark, they, they know the challenges that we're facing. Um, so I suppose what we're trying to do is find a solution in Cork first. But in terms of Crow Park, I don't, I don't know if they're, they actually worry about us, if they're actually, uh, if they actually care, because 
you know, it makes it, it makes no difference to them whether, like, if a club in in Bear or or, or West Cork, you know, is unable to field or ceases to exist, I mean, little difference makes little difference to the people up in Crow Park, while it makes a big difference to the, to, to the J people in Cork. So look, we can, we're seeing if we can come to a resolution in Cork, and there is going to be proposals. Um, for Congress at the end of February in 2023. So we'll see what those proposals are. And it was interesting. I actually got an email from a club in, um, uh, in Tyrone. They emailed me uh, on Tuesday night to say that they were, the clubs in Tyrone were 95% against decoupling, that the, that the clubs in Tyrone want to have their players um, playing both adult and um, minor f- football and hurling. So that was very interesting to hear from Tyrone. And I suppose you mentioned uh, the fear of extinction for some clubs in the Irish, that Irish Examiner article. Like uh, there's six clubs in Bear at the moment. Say, as you mentioned there, Bear Island in Junior C. There's three clubs currently in the county championships Castle Bear, Adrigal, your own club, and Oran, who are in the Premier Junior Championship next year. But you mentioned that. The Bear Division could be in trouble here as well. They played the in the Premier Senior Football Championship, like divisional section as well. So, like, is that a fear as well that uh, numbers could be going down there as well? Well, I'll give you an example. Like, there was twenty four children started in um in across the commute or the the primary schools feeding into Bear Community School, and I think you had another eight. So that was thirty two started across the peninsula. And like, if you had six years of that, you like, I did my leaving cert in 1998, and there was 450 pupils in Barrett Community School at the time. And if you had six years of 24 children starting, you would actually have less than 150 children in the secondary school. Like, I started secondary school in 92, and there was 104 of us in the class. In eight years' time, there's going to be 24 starting. So that's going to have a knock-on effect. And I spoke to one of the, I rang a couple of the, the, the teachers and principals around um, Beara just to get the numbers to see what was starting in their school. And like one of the, the, the principals came back and he said that look, the people outside of Beara, no, they don't have an idea what we're facing down here, what the challenges are. And he said, in years to come, Beara will struggle to have a team, never mind the clubs. You know, so I mean, like if you have, if you have twenty four children, like I, I'll give you an example. This year, Bear won the under nineteen championship. They beat Castlehaven in the final. We had about twenty four tagged off, and people might say, "Oh, twenty four, that's a fine number." That's between six clubs, and that, believe it or not, was spread across four age grades because we had two under sixteens playing. So if you have six clubs. Um, into 24 that's four per um, club and over four age grades that's one per year per club so that's one person no that's on average some had more some had less but then if you start looking at well if there's only one coming through per year it means that you're going to probably have to have every boy playing over the space of 22 23 years coming out to just to feel the team and then 
there's always going to be drop-off rates. And then people are going to go travelling. I know my own club this year, three lads went off to Canada. So you start doing the sums and the numbers are not going to add up in years to come. No, a club mightn't face going out of existence next year or the year after, but it could be 10 years' time, it could be 15 years' time when, when clubs aren't able to field. And as I say, it would be an awful shame if a team had 12, 13 players and then they had a couple of young lads outside, one or two 18-year-olds that couldn't play. So I think the decisions we take now will be felt maybe in years to come. And I was looking at an independent article, I think, by Jorba Crow or somebody um, that you sent to me during the week as well. And he mentioned that Ali Rowe Sullivan, one of the best ever Bearer GA players, started playing senior adult football at the age of 14. And that that day is, looks like it's long gone as well. So does that kind of show, like, does that make a mockery of the whole thing in a way that uh, a, a player could have played senior football at 14 at that time? And no. Like, like you have to be about 19 to play it now. Yeah, well, I think Ollie might be an exception to the rule because he was a top 14-year-old. And, and, and Ollie's tagged off again. Ollie's still playing. I think Ollie was 50 this year and he was tagged off. And he didn't play in the championship match, but um, he could have played in the county championship matches. I'm not sure. But Ollie played championship last year. At the age of 49, he played for Garnish. And knowing Ollie, he probably played this year as well. So back then, yeah, it was, uh, you could, uh, Ollie played, said he played a 14, and I wouldn't doubt him one bit. But like, it changed a couple of years ago where 16 year olds could play. So if you were under 17, you could play. But then that changed. And interestingly enough, Cork actually voted against that change. Because I remember speaking at the um, county convention, myself and Kevin O'Donovan had a great debate about the Nemo Rangers. And uh, Cork actually voted against it. But when it went to Congress, Congress actually uh, voted in favour of um, basically saying that you couldn't play if you were under 17. So and, and, and there's a couple of fears, too, as well, that kind of came out. And there was always a fear before about the, the Cork minor holding up everything, that if Cork got a run in the minor hurling or minor football championship and got to an Ireland semi-final or final, the whole lot would be held up. The issue with the split season, that's all over because the Cork Miners are finished and the Cork 20s, but all the inter-county competitions are finished before the, the senior championship starts, the adult championship start in Cork. So that fear is put to, uh, put to a side. Another point that was raised at, um, um, at the county board meeting was you know the clubs will only have to take the hit for a year and then there'll be a flow of players coming through there isn't any flow of players coming through in Beira there's a trickle and you know if if a tap is trickling at some stage it's going to stop and every okay and I've spoken to I've spoken to clubs here and I'd be asking them have you many coming through next year might be one might be two but every so often the club will say to me, we've nobody coming through. We've nobody coming through from under 17 to under 18. While other clubs might be up in the suburbs, might be up in the outskirts, outskirts of Cork in the city. They could have 10 players, 10, 12 people coming through every year on the age. And 
look, it's um, look. There's different challenges to be faced in in Cork. The city clubs, suburb clubs, they have their own issues. Uh, player drop off rate, big numbers. There, some of the clubs are struggling to get playing areas for their for their teams. But we have we have different we have different issues down here. And uh, you mentioned already that uh, the Bear Division won the under-19 championship against Castle David, but with 24 players and the issues that you explained brilliantly there, does that kind of, you know, up the achievement the small bit? That was a brilliant achievement to beat uh, a decent Castle Haven side of the day. Yeah, we actually beat Nemo Rangers by a point in the semi-final. And funnily enough, we were drawn to play Douglas away, so... What they did for the quarterfinals was first team out of the hat at home advantage. And Douglas were drawn at home at under-19 level. And they couldn't feel the team to play us. I don't know, I think maybe the lads gone away on the leaving start holiday or something like that. So we played, we played Nemo Rangers and uh, beat Nemo by a point. And then we beat Castlehaven by, I think, three points. And it was a, look, it was a great achievement. And, but it was great to see... Um, and I remarked about it in the Irish Examiner article. I think there was five of that team had played county championship with either Adrigal or Castleton Bear. Um, so they were playing adult football. And I felt that those players were more developed, more advanced, because they had been playing adult football. And like, if you look at the structure of the football in Cork, the setup, my, I, I, I know my own club. The, the amount of games they were playing. I think Castletown Bear are probably in the same boat. We would get nine league games in our division. So you get nine league games. We also are guaranteed uh, nine, or sorry, three championship matches. And we also enter the Tom Creedon Cup, which is kind of for football clubs only. And we get three games there. So we get a minimum of 15 games at um, football. And then obviously if you get to... Uh, County quarterfinal, or if you get to Town Creedon Cup semi-final or league semi-finals, you get extra games. Something tells me we could have had, like we had a lot of extra games this year. But those players, those eighteen-year-olds, there's games for them if they want it. Well, if they were playing maybe minor, just just under eighteen, you might have a situation where they might be in a group of four for league, and they might get three, get to semi-final, maybe four games, and then if they're Play knockout minor championship, they might get one or two games. Somebody might only get six or seven games at under 18 level if they're only playing, if they're only allowed to play under 18. But there's an option there if they're good enough that they're playing, and a lot of them would be at adult level when they come down and they're needed here in Berra, they could get up to anything to minimum 15 games. And I thought I saw like, I, I, that stood out to me. That we had a lot of good players, but they were a lot more experienced than maybe than the Castle Haven lads, because I think they, they might have only had one, maybe two lads who had played with the senior team this year in the Haven. So I thought that was um, that was an advantage of our uh, 18 and 19 year olds playing adult football with, with their clubs in the county championship. And you mentioned 18 or 19-year-olds as well. And another point you actually referenced at the Irish Examiner is uh, in Adrigal's intermediate A quarterfinal defeat, the goals for the Adrigal players actually came from 18-year-olds. Correct me if I'm wrong, no. But like that also shows that these players are well able to play senior level. 
It was actually the same player. We actually, I think we got four goals. The three of them came from the same player who was an 18-year-old. And he's a, he's a very good footballer, George Shea. But he's not the biggest footballer. He's not big, like, big and strong. Like, uh, and, and people were referencing like a Ben O'Connor in, in hurling uh, for the Bears. Like, ben O'Connor is a big, a big stature of a guy. George O'Shea is not a big stature of a guy he's a great footballer and a great lad and like he got three goals he got a goal I think against Kilshanig uh got a goal against Barry Desmond and got a goal against uh Bohobui. so I mean that just goes to show that an 18 year old who isn't the, the biggest guy in the pitch is able to use his skill and look at the impact that he made for Adrigal this year it was really important and we would have struggled without him. Yeah, definitely, definitely so. And um, yeah, like, um, like there's a few other points to this, but uh, we go on all day if we have to go over them and all that. But uh, just a bit of a conclusion, like if under 18s were allowed to play senior level and it went to under 18, and, uh, that was that. Would you be a fan of it going to under 18, this uh, wider level competition? Uh, let's just say uh, the under 18s are allowed to play senior level, but if if they're not allowed to play senior level, would you still stick with under 17 level? Well, I think there's um, I think a lot of the clubs in Cork are in favour of going to under 18 because they feel that there's too big a gap between the under 17 and the under um, and then going into adult level. The other thing is, what do you do with the, the under-21 competition, or we call it under-20, under-21? What do you do with that? Because that is, that's a, um, a competition that needs looking at in terms of a structure. Because in a lot of places, um, the way it used to work in Cork, in football, it was uh, run by the divisions. So it used to be knockout. But the thing about knockout is that 50% of the teams only get one game. And it's great if you get into the count, the latter end of the county championship, you might end up playing four or five games in the under-21 championship. And that's great. But for the team that loses in the first round, like they only get one game. So the, the whole under-20, under-21 situation needs to be looked at too as well. And I know people say it's a very important grade and I agree totally with that. But it's a great if it's if it's such an important grade, then why are 50% of the teams only getting one game at that level? And also the thing is, is when do you play it? Because before there was kind of a tradition that you would that we'd say the division division championships used to be played in March and April. But the problem is now with the split season, you have the Cork under 20s who are um who are playing, we'd say, Munster Championship and hopefully an All-Ireland Championship, that tends to go in March, April, and it used to finish around the May Bank Holiday weekend before college exams would start. So I don't see the, 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 the Cork under-20 manager maybe releasing the players in a split season when other counties might not, might not be doing that. So look, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things at play here. Um, again, I think these issues have to be raised and luckily enough, the likes of Kevin O'Donovan, Mark Sheehan and Pat Horgan 
have taken these on board. They said they're hoping to agree to, to maybe meet with the, the small rural clubs and see if a solution can be found. No, there's different ideas being thrown around that maybe players might have to say, we play adult, but we won't play minor. But the problem with that is that you're asking kids then to make a choice. You know, some of them might want to play adult, some of them might want to play minor. So look, it's, and then people were saying, oh, you could let them play for league and not for championship or for championship and not for league, vice versa. But um, that's pretty complicated. And I think we were kind of told that that wouldn't stand up under general rule. So look, there's a lot of things that, um, that need to be discussed, but I think a lot of things need highlighting too as well. And we're lucky that over the last couple of weeks, we've been given the, the forum, both in the media and also at, the, count, at the, the county board meetings to raise these concerns. And I know the Cork County Board have taken them on board. They are listening to us. But I would hope that sometimes maybe the people in Crow Park would take note of what we're saying. So it all remains to be seen. And hopefully they will take notice because uh, it's a huge issue, definitely. And uh, as I said, Joe, we, we could be talking about this um, for every other day, but uh, we'll have to leave it there uh, due to time constraints. Uh, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. And hopefully the issue gets resolved sooner rather than later. All right. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for having me. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. Because of the bank holiday yesterday, I didn't have a chance to write a snappy intro for our next guest. So, producer Dylan, forgive me, I'm going to steal your opening paragraph from your piece in this week's Southern Star. Christina Desmond wasn't supposed to be at the Women's European Boxing Championships, championships even. She'd been away from the high-performance boxing unit for much of this year after missing out on being picked for the World Championships in May. But four weeks before she got the call-up, she went to Montenegro, she won a silver medal, and she created a little bit of history with the Irish women's boxing team. So here's Kilnamatra's silver medal winning boxer from Kilnamatra speaking to producer Dylan Mangan. So we're joined now by Christina Desmond on the Star Sport podcast. Christina, European silver medalist, how does it feel? Um, at the moment, it's a bit surreal. Um, I haven't really uh, thought about it, but uh, um, obviously I'm disappointed. Uh, I didn't win the final. It was a close fight. Um, but no, it's it's a, it's a big achievement. Um, I I know I take no notice of it, but because I'm doing it every day of the week, you know, um, I'm or, and I've been training with a few years, so I take no notice. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, I really did realize how big it was with the support I've gotten and all, all the messages and all I've received. It's, it's a, it's a pretty big thing. So yeah, I'm happy enough. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a big thing as well. Like you've won uh, competitions in the past and you already have a bronze medal, but uh, this is that one step further. And just take us back maybe to before the tournament started. You were kind of a late call up, and and was that something that was difficult to get into the mindset for going into the tournament? Um. Yeah, I guess I always uh, felt that I was kind of that bit behind him that I was only just after joining. But I actually have been part of that team. I'm, I'm from them ten girls. I actually am the longest on the team, including Kelly Harrington, because I, I joined um, the performance unit when I was seventeen, um, because I was in the Youth Olympics. So um, 
I've been on it now nearly 10 years. So I, I'm the more senior one, but still I was new on the team and um, I was wondering what the younger girls would think, you know, just coming onto the team. But no, um, it was hard, yeah, obviously, because I, I wasn't really training too hard over the summer. Um, I've said in other um, podcasts and interviews that my dad was sick. So uh, our main priority as a family was to, to try and uh, be there for my dad. And he's flying now, thank God, so all is well. But um, so yeah to, to be called up and to be only half fit in my mind and I just decided to go for it it was a massive opportunity I couldn't leave it down so um yeah it was it didn't it didn't work out that way in the end I, I was fit enough and I was well able so um I put on a great performance I taught myself I, I boxed well so yeah you boxed really well and one thing that kind of struck me was even with those only just four weeks of, of proper training in the build-up is that you kind of seemed very fluid in all your fights and, and looked like you were at home. Is it something maybe the lack of preparation, do you think that almost helped like relieve a little bit of pressure on you? Absolutely. Um, to be honest, I've been um, away from the high performance now since May. Um, I didn't get picked for World Championships, um, which their excuse was that I have a job, which I didn't think was fair. Um. So I kind of was in a bad mindset. I didn't like boxing, wanted to quit it, didn't want to be there, um, didn't want to train or nothing, you know. So like the training I was doing wasn't even much boxing, it was just real, just to keep my fitness and my head straight. Um, so I wasn't in a good mind space with the boxing. So um, coming back was uh, was just a big decision for me. And you know what it was? It was just, you know what, I'll do it for me. And it was for me alone, it was for no one else. And I, I think that actually was was the best thing because I had no pressure no one expected anything of me um you know even the coaches didn't expect anything of me you know it was just kind of a here we'll give you a, we'll give you the chance to go so um I just had to take it on and and I did and you know I I haven't boxed that well in a long while um but the four weeks in training beforehand was was hard and physical so um it paid off yeah absolutely do you think that it'll it'll kind of stand you to good stead going forward I know you mentioned there that they said that you weren't included because you had a job, but being able to show that you can perform to that level, um, do you think that's something that, that go, going forward will will do you good? Massive, both for me and both for my training and for um, my job. And um, Now I've proved to a lot of people that I am still there and I am um, able to compete with girls that are all training full-time. Like, you know, most of them girls out there are all training full-time, getting funded, getting paid to train. And... Um, it just shows that if I did put my mind to it and train full time, um, I I would be able to compete with these girls as well, um, you know. And it's only it's only the bare margin, and that bare margin can be closed. And I know your career is is a big part of of your life at the moment. It's something that you you put a lot of, of work into. So is training full time something that you kind kind of see yourself doing going forward? Um. Yeah like I had for me as a growing up I had to get a career that was my my main goal was to get a career boxing doesn't last forever um, and things can go so wrong with the boxing uh, it's a very with all sports it doesn't last long but it's a very um, physical sport but it's also a big um, one in your head you know it's hard it's hard on the head as well it's 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 tough physically and mentally so um I do think I, I will probably have to go full time if I if I think I'll have to make if I want to make the Olympics. Um I just haven't thought about it yet or or thought about how I, I'll go around it. I suppose it's something I'll have to do to sit down with my bosses and my 
um, hierarchies and just sit down and talk to them. So I haven't decided yet, but we'll see. <laughs> it's probably something you probably need to let the silver medal sink in before you can decide on, on anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and we've not, our national championships now in um, January, they, they won't go down as a, as a picking or a selection process. It'll just be um, a marker. Um, so my aim now is to just relax for a week or two and then get back into training and, and go for them. And after that, then we'll see we'll see what the stories are if, if I get picked to go ahead or whatever. So um, then, then we'll make we'll make the decision then. You say um your aim is to relax for a week or two, but I understand you're straight back into work pretty much. So you must be be pretty tired this week. Yeah, um, I only took the bare minimum, like literally the, the days that I needed to take um, because I was so late notice. Um, some of my colleagues had to cancel their leave and all. So I just didn't want to push the boat out or um, get let, make anyone sour. So I knew I'd come back straight on the Monday and work. But um, then when I came home with a medal, it was just a bit strange having to, or not having to go in, but just going in with a medal, it was strange. But um, it was a great buzz. They gave me a great welcome back. Um, five minutes, I'd say they gave praise and uh, it was back to uh, messing and slagging. And um, uh, yeah, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed actually going back. But no, it was two night shifts, so. I am fairly tired um, and I had to go back in on the Wednesday morning then for more um, I had to go to court so um, I'm tired and they, they had a little homecoming in my little parish here in Kilimatra, um last night so um, I haven't had a proper night's sleep since I came home but it's adrenaline and, and I'm delighted with it it's so good to come home to such support I don't think anyone else could get the support I've gotten in the past week or two and uh, everyone seen the fight everyone watched it and if I knew that before I fought, I'd say I'd be under a lot more pressure. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about the the kind of reception you got coming home to Kilimartra. Like I imagine, obviously your family are very supportive, but the whole parish um kind of come together to support you as well. So that must be great. Ah, oh, it's been incredible. Uh, I've got support from worldwide. I've for cousins all over the world, uh, Canada, Australia, um, and I've friends traveling as well. You know, all over the place. It's absolutely been. It's been emotional. It was an emotional week, like, you know, um, so it was. But uh, they all met last weekend in um, our local village in our pub to watch my fight on the Friday and the Saturday. And um, I believe there was a, a lot, a lot of late nights there. So um, on the back of my, my achievements. So um, it's massive just to see. And you know what makes the most of the kids? Um, they were just in awe of maybe not me, but at my medal and that, that I was actually that girl was on television and now she's here, you know, it was just crazy. And um, so that's what, that's what it's all about. And to see, see them, um, that I came from that place, you know, I visited the national school this morning that I went to and, uh, they, they couldn't believe that I went to school there, you know, and for me, I'm, that's mad. Like, you know, I'm just a local girl. Like, so, um, yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah. It must be funny being able to inspire, um, the kind of next generation of potentially, uh, both young girls and boys into boxing but I was just wondering like what got you into boxing in the first place like what was it that made you kind of decide that that was the sport for you um so my brother I have a twin brother we're both 26 and um he started boxing for fitness for football uh, in our local club here in McCroom and uh, my father's first cousin John Desmond was um the coach and I went in to watch the boxing and I had to do everything he did and I'd have to do it better. That was just with everything in life. So I started training and eventually 
after a long, long few weeks and months of begging, could I get in the ring? Um, I was allowed in and I won my first, I was 11 then and I won my first Irish title when I was 13. And it's been, it's been my life since it's been, um, it's been incredible really. I wouldn't have a life, the life I have without boxing and, um, I definitely wouldn't have achieved um things outside of boxing. Boxing, if I hadn't did either, you know, it was. I've dri- I'm driven. I'm independent, and uh, I believe that's fully uh to do with well my rearing and my sport. Yeah, and boxing is um obviously a very individual, like a solo sport. But you are now part of a record-breaking team with that huge medal hall coming back from Montenegro. What's it like being able to be part of kind of a a golden era, let's say of of women's boxing um it's it's unbelievable um you know i've trained with katie taylor and kelly harrington and women all over the world that are famous and they're you know famous in their own countries and famous worldwide of boxing and you know to come back and then to just i i just played off you know i don't take any notice of it because they them to me are my friends like you know i don't take any notice but um the what what they've done for women's boxing and women's sport is just incredible and I don't see myself as one of them, one of them but um I would love to be th- that I would love to be someone that they'd say you know she did it and especially with my career that I can do both and that anyone could do both um if they put their mind to it and um yeah the, the team that went out there was fantastic I've been on many teams and I've been abroad um we had a very tough training camp uh we weren't happy with the conditions out there but we stuck through it. We we got there. We all are huge support. We were it was huge support to each other. Um, we got on very well. We had a routine. We went for tea every morning after breakfast. Um, across the road, that was that was the normal routine. And um, every day would there be you know if there was someone down, we'd we'd pick each other up again. And um, it can be hard away from family, away from friends, and you're you're emotionally and physically drained. Um, and you're nervous about competition but the team was fantastic and every one of them um, did well out there and the three that didn't win medals could have just as well won, won as well like their opponents won out tournaments so uh, yeah it, it, it's it's incredible to be part of it and um, again the same as the medal I can't believe we did that so um, I hope we did everyone proud <laughs> Oh yeah absolutely does it help having other people who are going through the same thing you talk about it being uh, taking a toll like emotionally mentally and physically does it help having other people around you that are going through the same thing to kind of help you through that yeah it yeah it is yeah because you know what no one else would understand um what we go through a day before a fight or the week before a fight or making weight Um, we all have the same thoughts uh we all think that you know you think you're there by yourself because obviously boxing is a sport that you do by yourself and um all the pressure is on you and everything's everything's on you but we're all feeling the same way. All of us um, go through the same thoughts of loss. What happens if this happens or if she hits me this way or if she does this, what will I do? We all go through that. So we talk each other through it and, and we get through it. But we only had, I was roommate and my roommate was Kelly Harrington. Um, I was very lucky to to share share with her for the few, few weeks. Well, I don't know about lucky now, but um. Yeah, we were only just saying it the morning of the final. We were in bed uh, resting after our lunch. And um, she said, uh, imagine if our families and friends knew what we actually did or, you know, the people of Ireland knew what we did, the hardship that we go through trying to, you know, starving ourselves the night before weighing or um, going for, you know, a half an hour's jog to try and cut the weight. Like, and the 
the mental and draining part, they'd actually think we were mental. Like, you know, they'd, they'd have us put away, I'd say, because, um, you, you know, some people just think you just go out and box and you have a holiday or a great time. Like, that's far from it. And um, we had a very tough week, few four weeks. And, uh, but you know what, it all paid off. And um, it doesn't matter what we have to do. We, we When we come home and get welcomes like that, it's just, it's all worth it. Yeah, I'd imagine it makes it completely worth it. Um, just to kind of close out there, you mentioned briefly about um, Paris next year, or sorry, 2024, isn't it? Um, and looking forward, I was just wondering, so you're, one of your former victims in the ring, let's say Sandy Ryan, is fighting on Dillian, Dillian White's upcoming undercard at Wembley. Is going pro something that you've thought about in the past? And is it something that you can kind of see yourself doing going forward? I know it can maybe be hard to think about that right now um yeah so like i'd love to make the olympics obviously i've missed out um on narrow margins for the last couple of ones um but yeah i haven't i haven't really thought about it i probably will uh because knowing me i'll have to i'll have to give it a go anyway um but it's it's all about getting the right contracts and getting the right um people behind you um and uh, at the moment i mightn't do it so soon but um we'll see and to be honest with you I don't like the talk in the pro boxing I don't like giving anyone abuse or any any um backlash or anything like that so uh, I'll probably have to toughen up a small bit if I want to go pro but um I can be the nice one uh, they, they all give out to me I say sorry when I hit people in the ring even when I'm fighting so I'll have to toughen up a small bit <laughs> That can be your uh, your motto. So let your gloves do the talking. Um, I think we'll we'll leave it there with with Christina. Um, thank you so much for joining us, and um, best of luck going forward. Thanks so much. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union funding dreams for over fifty years. The West Cork contingent in the Munster setup have been making their presence felt so far this season, with many of them starting the recent Interpro up in the Aviva Stadium against Leinster. And Kieran, you've been chatting to ex-Munster star Billy Holland about that West Cork contingent. So before we hear from Billy, what did he have to say about the current players that are involved? Uh, Billy Holland, he was in super form. As we know, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen Billy Holland on Ultimate Hell Week um, on our TV screens, and he did really well there. And I had a chance to catch up with him, and it was thanks to Pinergy um, ahead. Pinergy are the, this was the official sponsors of the Munster Rugby South Africa huge game that's coming up for the sold-out Parky Cueve on Thursday, November 10th. So again, thanks to Pinergy, I was able to I think I suppose get the thoughts and pick the brains of Billy Holland um, about I suppose, all things West Cork rugby because as we know from this podcast over the last couple of years, so many local lads are 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 on that the I suppose they're they're playing at the top level with Munster. But what I'm trying to say, we've the the Witchley brothers, Josh and Fineen, and Fineen recently signed a new two-year contract with Munster, which is good news for him. Obviously, we've Gavin Coombs who's back in with the Ireland senior squad um, for the internationals this month. We also have the likes of Ross Garbery's John Hodnett. We've Keen Hurley from Clannacilty, um, who played the, the weekend. We've Jack Crowley from Inishannon. So as we all know, that West Cork rugby is at a high right now. So it was really good to get the thoughts of, of Billy Holland and, uh, and, and the West Cork Mafia 
as um, as as they have been described, but also to get his thoughts on, on that huge game between Munster and South Africa at Parky Queen next week. Like that, that's it's a, it's sold out. Like I said, but it, it's a great opportunity, and and I'm sure a lot of local fans here had their tickets got for that game because. We're getting the World Champions, we're getting the spring box right here on our own back door at a sold out parky queeve, huge crowd, huge atmosphere. And as we know over the years, Jack, when Munster take on those big international Southern Hemisphere teams, something special can really, really happen. And it would be super if that could, if history could repeat itself in Parky Queeve again on Thursday, November 10th. And as you hear from Billy Holland now, he's quite hopeful that something special will happen that day. Delighted now to be chatting to Billy Holland ahead of a, a huge game for Munster against the Springboks at a packed out Barky Cueve next week. Um, as a former Munster man yourself, Billy, how much would the players be looking forward to this one? Ah, uh, these these type of events, they're they're kind of once in a lifetime, really. Um, you know, as a professional, we play you get to play in a few special occasions. This is certainly one of them. You know, to play. For Munster against an international side in itself is is unique, but to do it in Parky Cueve in Cork, sold out Thursday night against the defending World Cup winners is you know you, it's just a really special occasion. And you're adding in the fact that you've got three ex Munster coaches as well on the South African side of things, so uh, it kind of all stacks up to be an incredible evening. When there's occasions like this coming up, does it make you want to dust off the boots again and get back out there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be a few kilos off uh, <clears throat> the way I know at this stage, but I'd love to have my word out. You know, I always wanted to play in Parky Cueve, um, to play a rugby match in Parky Cueve. That would have been a really special part of uh, your career. And I'm, you know, I unfortunately lost three European Cup semi finals which were home matches in the Aviva. And I know that if any of them were in, in Parky Cueve, we would have come out the other side of certainly one of the results at least. So there's definitely an element of jealousy, but look, better late than never. I hope it's a, it's a, you know, it's something that continues on in the future. I think it's great for GA, great for Munster Rugby. And most importantly, it's, it's so good for the people of Cork. It's good for the kids who are going to get to see some of their heroes playing in, in Cork. Um, and it's, it, you know, for supporters who've been travelling up and down the road to Home Park, the big games to finally have one on your on your front door in um in our beloved Park Cueve makes it even more special. You're probably in tip top shape yourself after your exertions in, in the last couple of weeks and following you there on on, on 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 TV. Like what sort of experience was that? It seemed incredible watching from the outside. It was, it was, it was mad. It was all mad from start to finish. It was, you know, you're just taking out of your comfort zone from the get-go. You're sleep deprived. You know, I think I had nine hours sleep over the six days. Your your mind is playing tricks with you. You're hungry. You're learning new skills the whole time. You're trying to remember things where they tell you how you pack your bag specifically, you know, what goes where and has to be perfect. And by the same, at the same time, then they're shouting at you relentlessly and getting stuck into you so and then on top of it doing things that you're scared of like you know scared of, you know if you're not if you're not comfortable heights or uh enclosed spaces so it's just a whirlwind of sensual deprivation and you just don't know what's going on half the time but it was like i'm so glad i did it i'm very proud proud that i did it but never again <laughs> and how much satisfaction do you take in Billy, from actually passing at the end i think there was, was there's a tree at the end yourself 
Satent uh, and uh, David Gillip to treat it. Yeah, yeah huge, huge pride. You know, 20 of us went into it and, you know, for three of us to come out the far side and to be one of the three, I take enormous pride in it. Um, it's, you know, it's a real uh, personal achievement, um, you know, to be, to give them, to be recognised by those individuals, the Army Ranger Wing, they're a special group of people. They're physically, they're obviously supreme athletes, but they've just got this, really high emotional intelligence a high eq they're they're so perceptive they're you know savagely intelligent people so to get their uh seal of approval means a lot fair dues to you i i, I don't know how you put yourself through it i was out i was getting tired watching e on tv so looking, <laughs> at the, looking at the court monster group so if you could pick one fella from the court monster team to put them into hell week who would you put in <laughs> Jack O'Donoghue, and he'd be done by the first night. He loves his sleep <laughs> and his rest. Uh, oh, who would I put in? That's the tough one. T- to do well in it, like. Or even just even just to suffer and struggle. Jack O'Donoghue, I'd have to go with Jack O'Donoghue. I'd love I'd love to see how he'd uh, he'd fare in it. Um, if I put if you put in Niall Scannell, I'd say <clears throat> I'd say the DSs would give up. I'd say that he I'd say he'd break them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such a I said such, such a great experience for you, but. Bring this back to rugby now and down to West Cork for a second because West Cork rugby is hopping at the moment. We have so many West Cork lads in, in, in the Munster setup and so many are, are impressing as well. I just see there that Finney Mitchell signed a new contract lately. But looking first to Gavin Coombs back in with the Ireland squad again. Is he someone you've been impressed with over the last couple of years? He's rise. Yeah, big time. Look, Anthony Foley brought Gavin Coombs in when he was a, you know, he was a tall, gangly 18-year-old who had good skills <clears throat> and he beefed out into being a, a big West Cork man. Um, but the talent coming from that neck of the woods is phenomenal. You know, Gavin Coombs, I think Liam Coombs really impresses me. Fanine Richerley, Josh Richerley, you know, now Jack Crowley stepping up to the plate. It's it's a testament to the athletic ability of a lot of these guys who probably came up to GA backgrounds and maybe didn't play your typical you know, uh, schools, rugby, and it's great to see guys coming up to those ranks through club systems and with GA backgrounds. You know, Darren Sweetnam was, you know, a trendsetter a few years back. Um, and it's that's why games like this are really important because it's important for the people of Cork to be able to just go to their doorstep and watch, you know, these heroes playing. And it's, it's, it's just, it's so important that Munster do play games around the province as much as possible and get as much exposure. And I know they're doing it the whole time with kids camps and community engagement things and Munster are really active in that area. But Munster is a big province and you need to, but with a smaller population base than Leinster, so you need to really get everything that you can. But look, back to Gavin Coombs, um, he's a special talent. He's, he's the type of guy you want in your team. Um, and like he's scoring, he scored 23 tries or something for Munster in 50-odd games. You know, a winger would be happy with that. So he's he's a he's a great lad. Um, that's the thing about all these guys. They're proper salt to the earth lads. You know, nothing, they're, they're, they're the quickest lads in the world to bring you back down to earth if uh, anyone ever gets above their station. And that's a huge, uh, hugely important part of it too. You mentioned there, Jack Crowley, and, and obviously Josh Witchley today, impressed in that Emerging Ireland um, talent tour a couple of weeks ago. Are these two players you can see stepping up with Munster over the next couple of years? I know I know Josh has over the last couple of seasons and, and, and Jack is getting his chance now, but are they two, two fellas you're excited to see what they can do? Yeah, big time. Um, they're both really talented. You know, I would have had reservations over that Emerging Ireland tour. I thought the timing was poor. But 
you know, the guys have come back from the, you know, the real pep in their step. You look at Thomas O'Hearn has been excellent for Munster as well since he's come back. So, you know, the guys who were at home for Munster were probably, you know, they were it was a difficult time. And then these young fellas came back from South Africa with a real pep in their step, a real buzz about them. And they've really transferred it onto the pitch, which is important. So, yeah, look, Jack Crowley, you know, I've seen him play for Con many, many times. And he's really stepping up to the mark at the moment for Munster, you know. Lest we forget, Ben Healy is uh, is an exceptional talent as an out half as well, and then Josh, you know, Josh had his first uh, start over in Clermont Auvergne a few years ago and had a had a rough start to that game and came up on t- came up trumps in the end and he's, you know, he's he's a, another huge talent and uh, he's learned a lot from his brother Finine over the years who I'm delighted to see us sign on for another two years. He's hugely talented um, player who probably doesn't get the recognition he deserves. Um, so far, but hopefully we see that over the years. No, Fanini said before with the with the Ireland team, they sent the Ireland panel, um, and he's out injured at the moment. I think. But what do you think Fanini needs to do to take that next step to almost follow what Gavin has done and become a a more, a more permanent fixture around the Ireland squad? Uh, it, it's probably some of it is it's a bit of chicken and egg. He needs to be playing for Munster while Munster are winning as well. You know, he has stepped up and, you know, he, crawling lineouts is 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 reasonably new to him and he had a great season of that last year. So it's just about time in the jersey, you know. It's about performing week in, week out. And that's what they look for up in national camp is, are you a consistent performer? Um, and I think Fineen just needs a run of it now this season, playing in the second row, calling lineouts and Munster back to winning ways. I think when that happens, you see more guys automatically getting up into the squad don't think Finney needs to do a whole lot in regard to his game. I think his game is excellent. Um, I think it's it's kind of a, a case of just being the shop window the whole time and Munster winning and being a pack leader in a team that's winning. I think that's important. Um, and then when it comes to the local derbies, the Interpros winning them because they're the guys you're actually competing against for those positions. Another local guy we haven't mentioned from down this neck of the woods is John Hodnett from Ross Carberry. Ah, oh, John Hodnett, yeah, he owes me a jar of honey actually <laughs> from his local bee beehive. We're not trying to get that off him, but he he he's he's another fellow Billy like played with Carberry Rangers up till Jesus was he under nineteen or under, under twenty one at that level. But from that GA background, when you think of West Cork traditionally, it's football country here in Cork, it's football territory. But to see these. Roby players coming out, like we said, the Witcherleys and John Hodnett, Darren. Like it's just great to see that there, there's such a rich harvest of rugby players in West Cork right now. Yeah, yeah. Look at there, there's a lot of talented sporting individuals down in West Cork. So you look at our the rowers down in Skibbereen, it's 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 must be something in the water down there. Um, you know, people joke with that, but it's it's, it's the way of life down there. They're all out and about. There, a lot of them are from farming backgrounds. They're playing sports at a young age, and it's really important. And when you're a kid, it doesn't matter what sport you're playing, as long as you're active and you're playing a sport. What what group you fall into in years to come? You know, John Hadden fell into the rugby group. Darren Sweetham could have gone either way, and that comes in time. And that's not what's important. What's important is you've got kids out playing and. You know, John Hodnett is like you look at the size of him, what he does on the rugby pitch, it doesn't doesn't make sense. Um, he's got a, an amazing heart, amazing engine, but just such natural power and skill. And you know, hopefully we see mu- much more of him over the years to come. I'd love watching John play. And what we have now, I know it's sold out in Parky Cueve um the big game coming up, but we'll have lots of fans from West Cork traveling up to the city to watch their their, their local heroes playing against the Springboks. So what are you expecting from the game, Soberly? Um it's 
what am I expecting from the game? Well, firstly, Munster have no right to win the game. You know, it's just on paper, it, they have no right to win, but that's not what this game is about. I just want to see guys in their rawest form. I want to see just energy, emotion. I want to see the crowd behind them. And when you see that, I think Munster will be in a good place. I think they need to have a bit, of, add in a bit of discipline and some you know, so that you're not defending malls five metres out, which would be very difficult to stop against South Africa. Um, but it's just that heart, that energy, that courage. That's what you want to see from them against a team who, on paper, are, you know, they're going to be really impressive. And final question, so really, and you've been so kind with your time. Things haven't gone so well um, for months so far this year, but do you think this is the sort of game? Like, obviously, it's a, it's an, an exhibition game, but it's the sort of game for fellas just to take their mind off the, the, the league form to get a good game under the belt against a good team like obviously the uh, world champions like the Springboks but almost use it then you use it as a positive to hopefully kind of launch launch better results and better performances coming up Absolutely look a game like this form holds no no bearing form has no win memory in a game like this so you know Munster perform in this game and if they win or even if they have just a really really good performance it'll just give them a huge amount of confidence I think that's part of it you've got a really young group who are maybe lacking a bit of confidence and that'll be just so important for them going forward and you're right it could you know I think their season is going in the right direction you see their performance are really really improving but something like this will just bring them to another level altogether, and um, I'm excited for it. And uh, you know, I hope I hope it's the occasion it deserves to be for the supporters and the players and everyone who's been involved in making this happen. Uh, I, I hope it is what it deserves to be. And hopefully, another famous monster win against one of the Southern Hemisphere teams next week. Thanks exactly. so much for your time, Billy. Thanks, Kieran. Okay, Kieran. Quickly before we wrap up this week's Star Sport podcast, a quick preview of what's coming up in this week's Southern Star Sports section. Even though the GA season, you could say, is is winding to close, it's still quite busy. Uh, good news for the Bandanskar, the hurlers last weekend, they won their county quarterfinal against Valleys and they're now through to a county semi-final. So we have full match report and reaction from that. Unfortunately, in the road for Orhan, they brought out against Kilmory in the Junior Football Championship, but we have a full report and reaction from that. We also have all the, the local soccer, bowling, rugby news. Um, it's 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 a it's still quite a busy time of the year. We also have a very interesting piece from Tom Lyons on what we talked about earlier and about the decoupling from that minor age grade and what it could mean. So that that that's well worth checking out as well. And also the Southwest Coastal Rowing had their recent awards nights. And if you want to check out the winners of that and a full page picture special check out Thursday Southern Star and also on that Jane Buckley that young Newstown athlete who we've talked about in this podcast before she's now on her athletic scholarship in Providence over in Rhode Island and she had a huge win the weekend just gone so we full news on that um, as a freshman she um, she raced a victory at the Big East Championships which is for in, in America the, the collegiate system the colleges and the East Coast they all compete at the Big East and she became just the second freshman in history to win the women's 6K race. So we have a, um, a report and reaction from that. So, yeah, plenty going on in Thursday's Southern Star Sport. Yeah, brilliant stuff, Kieran. And if you can't make it to the shops to pick up a copy of this week's Southern Star, for whatever reason, you can always subscribe online. Just go to www.southernstar.ie forward slash e paper and you can subscribe to the Southern Star on your computer tablet or smartphone app store google play store take your pick for less than two 
euro per week. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast this week. And thanks as well to our producer, Dylan Mangan, and our reporter, Matthew Hurley, for their brilliant input. If you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Slán